Our Bible reading is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, as you can see. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Good morning all. After nine weeks working through these um, first five chapters of Luke's Gospel, we arrive at arguably one of the most familiar passages. One of the most familiar stories of Jesus' life. And we see this moment recorded in each of the four gospel accounts, but it's here in Luke 5 where we are given the most information of this event. And I think that's a really helpful thing for us today. Uh, Let me pray as we devote this time to the Lord. Father God, we thank you uh, for the life of your son Jesus. We thank you for um, the uh, lessons he taught, uh, the life that he lived, the miracles he performed Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you in particular for this scripture today that we are able to reflect on. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would quieten our hearts and minds. Uh, Would we be focused and attentive to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit intends to shape us this morning? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the truth that we see here, that Jesus is um, calling us to be his disciples. I pray, Heavenly Father, that Uh, through reflecting on your word, we all might uh, accept that call on our lives. Uh, We thank you for who you are, everything that you've done for us, and it's for your son's name, I pray. Amen. This passage opens with, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. We see at the back end of chapter 4, Jesus going all throughout Galilee, performing great miracles, healing many and driving out impure spirits. And we learn that a great crowd has formed, following Jesus wherever he went. And that makes sense to us. I'm sure if we heard of a man traveling around our area, going into all of the hospitals and getting hundreds of sick people out of their beds back to full health, we'd pay attention also. The really good news is, and we, and we see this in the final verses of chapter 4, as Jesus withdrew to a solitary place 
And the people find him and say, you can't leave us. We need to see more miracles. Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. That's um, verse 43 of chapter 4. And so the really good news is that the crowds, and we see this now at the start of chapter 5, the crowds continue to pursue him. And it would appear not only because of the chance that they might witness another great miracle, now they crowd around him, they pursue him to hear the word of God proclaimed. And it's here that we begin this great story within today's passage. There's a, um, a video on YouTube of a drone flying above the, the Foster Tuncurry Channel for the once a year mullet catch or the mullet run. You've got this massive school of, of mullet, thousands and thousands of fish who are swimming together. And as they get closer into shore, a, a jet ski towing a net circles them rapidly, trapping them from all sides. And then the fishermen on the beach start hauling in this net and they connect it up to their cars and their cars are just driving along the beach, pulling this net up. Uh, as I watched that video this week, again, I've watched it uh, many times, uh, I found myself thinking, wow, this technique of fishing has actually not really changed that much. That might surprise you because you think that's very different. I don't think it's changed that much. I mean, sure, we are now capable of catching far more fish far more regularly. We've got modern technology for tracking fish. And we've got machines like jet skis and cars and more powerful boats, which I'm sure make the whole process a lot simpler. But really, you find a school of fish, you throw a net around them, and you pull them in. In our passage for today, we read that these fishermen working on Simon Peter's boat had experienced a pretty average day out on the water. They hadn't caught anything. Now, hands up if you've ever been fishing before. Yeah. Now, hands up if you've ever been fishing and you haven't caught anything. (laughs) It seems to me that a normal part of fishing is that some days the fish just aren't biting. Now, for us hobby fishermen, a day like this is not that big a deal. But when this is your livelihood, I imagine days like this are far more serious. So you have these fishermen who have been out all night, and it's morning time now. They're back on land feeling disappointed at the fact that they have just worked all night for no reason, for no return. And they're washing and mending their nets for the next night of work. And I'm sure... They were looking forward to getting home to their families and laying down for some hours of sleep. But Jesus, needing some space from the crowd, pressing into him to hear the word of God, sees some boats on the shore and thinks, I can continue to teach the people, but with some space for them. So he asks for the boat owned by Simon Peter to be put out a little way from the shore. He sits down and resumes teaching the people. I think the first thing we can take note of here is that when Jesus calls us to follow him or when he calls us to assist him in his transformative work of discipleship, it may happen, and I would argue it will happen, when you least expect it. I think it is wired into all of us that we appreciate plans, that we thrive on routine and schedule, that we feel uncomfortable when things don't go to plan. And yet, I would argue, it has certainly been a testimony of my own life, that God cares very little for your plan. 
And in fact, he has a plan that most likely doesn't align with your plan. I've read a book uh, called The The Magnificent Story, and it's all about how uh, God is playing out his magnificent story, and by his grace, we are a part of that magnificent story. But we are not the magnificent story. And so what we read here, and certainly what we experience throughout our lives, is this truth that Jesus calls us to to follow him. And often it is when we least expect it. How many of you have felt the call of Jesus to follow him and then have felt the immediate temptation of the evil one that it's, it's not the right time? That it's not part of the plan? When Jess and I found out that she was pregnant with Joey, we sat down and we made a plan. I'm sure many of you have done this throughout your lives. You sit down and you make a plan. A plan of how the next few years are going to look. And I've got to say... When I started this process of meeting with Gary and and Cliff and Harry, a big temptation that I felt was this isn't part of the plan. Stick to the plan, Jordan. A mentor of mine said to me once, and it was such a great encouragement, he said, nothing feels better than being exactly where God wants you to be. I wonder if anyone is here today and kind of wrestling with that at the moment, that you feel the call of Jesus on your life, but it doesn't feel like the right time or it doesn't fit in with your plan. Perhaps you simply feel called to step into a new ministry. We're we're looking at starting a few new ministries in the coming months, and maybe you feel the Lord calling you to lead in those ministries. But life's pretty busy at the moment. Or, no, I retired so that I could stop working. I'm not now going to take on more responsibility. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's, it's leaving your job. Maybe it's moving into a new area. Maybe it's following Jesus to another part of the world. My encouragement, nothing feels better than being exactly where God wants you to be. Amen? Let me continue in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so we read this almost infuriating instruction for these fishermen. Remember, they, they just want to go home to bed. They've been working all night and now Jesus wants to go and give it one more try. And I think for us, this is another insight into the call of Jesus on our lives. And that is, when Jesus calls us, it will inevitably be a great inconvenience. Unfortunately for all of us, the reality we must face is that following Jesus is not the easy way. In fact, I would argue that a life neglecting Jesus is actually far easier. We read this in Matthew 7, don't we? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so I guess an interesting examination you could do is to look at your years following Jesus and ask the question, has it been easy? Because we see in the scriptures, and certainly in the lives lived by those in the scriptures who followed Jesus or perhaps followed Yahweh and awaited the coming Messiah, we see that their lives were filled with great inconveniences. And that's putting it lightly. Now, I would argue that there are some amongst us today some amongst us who have not experienced the struggle of following Jesus. And you're sitting there now thinking, it's not a great inconvenience. 
if anything, following Jesus is so easy, it gets boring sometimes. Now, let me clearly say, I'm not thinking of a particular person when I say that. If you're sitting there and thinking, he's thinking of me, he's judging me, I'm not thinking of you, I'm not judging you. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that means that this here is for you. And if I'm being honest, I felt that conviction this week. Writing this sermon, reading this passage, I felt that conviction that God recently has given me opportunities to trust and follow him, opportunities that would be a great inconvenience to me. And I've responded by putting up barriers because I'm comfortable and I'm not interested in discomfort. Are you feeling that as well? How is Jesus calling you to follow him and you're resisting because it is far too inconvenient? We see Simon and his fellow fishermen. It's almost like they desperately wanted to resist. Simon even begins to resist but catches himself. Uh, we've been out here all night and the fish just aren't interested. Oh, and I'm actually a professional fisherman. If we didn't catch any overnight, we're not going to catch any now. But he catches himself as he remembers who he's talking to. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. What we see here is what the hyper-charismatics or the prosperity gospelists, which is a made-up word, would build their faith upon. That by trusting and following Jesus and by faithfully giving your money or yourself to the Lord, you will receive prosperity in this life. Your boats will overflow. Whatever money you give will be multiplied. Whatever you don't have and you do want, ask and it will be given to you. Now, I could refute this till the cows come home. I've said before, and I'll continue to say this, this is a false gospel. And people that preach that are false teachers. And yet, it would be ignorant of me to preach on Luke 5, 1 to 11, and not mention the fact that these fishermen trusted Jesus, obeyed him, even though it was a great inconvenience, and it resulted in two boatloads of fish for them. So what does this reveal to us? about trusting Jesus. Well, I think it reveals to us that trusting Jesus results in fruitfulness far exceeding all we could ask or imagine. Notice I used the word fruitfulness. I'm not talking about your business that you run becoming fruitful. I'm not talking about the money you have in the bank multiplying because of your trust in Jesus. I'm not talking about your investments going through the roof. I'm not promising that your next fishing trip will result, result in boatloads of fish. I'm not talking about prosperity in this life. You know why? Because Jesus is not interested in your prosperity in this life. And you know why I know that? Because after teaching these fishermen how to catch two boatloads of fish, what does he tell them? From now on, you'll fish for people. So they left everything and followed him. If Jesus was all about prosperity in this life, those fishermen would have taken all those fish home. They would have sold them for a profit. Jesus says, no, 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 leave it all. Follow me. Jesus is calling these first disciples to follow him for what purpose? Hint, 
It's not so that they can learn to become better fishermen. It's not for them to pay off their debts and receive prosperity in this life. For what purpose is Jesus calling them? The kingdom, right? Jesus calls these first disciples, Simon Peter, James and John, for what purpose? It was for the kingdom. And so when I say fruitfulness, what am I talking about? I said before that these verses reveal that trusting Jesus results in fruitfulness for far exceeding all we could ask or imagine. So what do I mean by fruitfulness? People, right? I'm talking about lost souls. People living in darkness. Those who haven't accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do the other gospel writers say? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I do believe that following Jesus, even when his plan isn't part of your plan, even when it feels most inconvenient, I do believe that following Jesus will result in far more lost souls being won for the kingdom. And that is what I mean by fruitfulness. People, the kingdom, winning lost souls for the kingdom, seeing the multiplication of the kingdom. That's what discipleship is all about, isn't it? Seeing the multiplication of faith having the message of the gospel explode out of you and having more and more accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So today, I hope you, along with me, have been able to identify some key aspects of how Jesus calls each of us into discipleship, that he often calls us when we least expect it, that when he calls us, it will not be easy. In fact, it will be a great inconvenience, but that if we follow him, it will result in fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. The question remains, what's stopping you from following Jesus? Now, obviously, that question is aimed at anyone who hasn't yet accepted Jesus, obviously. And so if you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that's the invitation. But it's also aimed at the bulk of you who have been following Jesus for a really long time. You would call yourself a disciple of Jesus. This question is aimed at all of you as well. You see, I believe every single person in this room and who is listening to this at a different time through the recording, Jesus is asking you to live in a certain way or follow him in a certain direction and you're not. And it might be really simple. Jesus might want you to give over that addiction you have, whether big or small. It might be that Jesus wants you to be more actively involved in the ministries of this church. It might be that he wants you to be more actively involved in the community. You've realised that all your friends are Christians and Jesus is calling you to change that. Jesus might be calling you to move for the gospel, to move for the kingdom, or to finally commit to a church because you bounce around churches like it's a game. Jesus might be asking you to love your spouse or your kids in a way that you just haven't been. And so it's time to make a change. Jesus might want you to be more intentional with your time in the scriptures or in prayer. He may have placed someone on your heart who needs to hear the gospel and he's asking you to be brave and share the gospel with them. Now, what I believe, and feel free to test this against the scriptures, what I believe is that we need to be willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. When that question was asked, What's stopping you from following Jesus? If you thought of anything, I believe that is not good enough. That's not what God expects from us. 
And so I said you should test it against the scriptures. Let's, let's do that by looking at some of the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Luke 14, 33. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Mark 8, 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I think Jesus is saying, your life is actually the possession that you hold most dear. So everything else that you possess actually falls underneath that. You need to be willing to give over your life to follow Jesus. So of course that means you have to give over all of your possessions. Your car, your, your, your house, your comfort, um, your money, your wealth, your job. The story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, in Mark 10 and Luke 18. What's the barrier for this young man in receiving eternal life. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you need to get rid of all of your possessions to follow Jesus. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm saying that you need to be willing to. I remember a few years ago, Jess and I were feeling like maybe we were being called out to Orange, out west. There was a, a, a job lined up for me and, and a place for us to live. But both Jess and I felt really negative about it. And we now know that God was in that. He wasn't calling us to Orange. I think in a lot of ways he was preparing our hearts for a move to Dapto. But at the same time, the reasons we felt really negative about it seemed superficial. It seemed like not good enough reasons to stay. The reasons were selfish and driven by fear. And it was because I wanted things to be a certain way and it seemed that God wanted us to sacrifice all these good things that we had. And then a wise person in my life asked me a simple question, which I've asked myself many times since. I asked it when God called us to Dacto. I've asked it uh, when I don't want to share the gospel with someone that God has placed on my heart. I ask it every time I give a portion of, of my money away or our money away. The question is... What are you willing to give up for the kingdom of God? And we know the simple answer, don't we? I've already alluded to it. Everything. Everything. That's the standard. That's what God is looking for from us. That the posture of our hearts is no matter what, I'll give it all up. I'll lay it all down. I'll give all that I am, all that I hold dear. I'll lose it all in pursuit of Jesus. And I believe all of us today are holding on to something which is preventing us from fully pursuing Jesus. So what are you holding on to? Is it your job? Is it your house? Is it your wealth? Is it your friends? Is it your comfort? Is it sin that you're holding on to you don't want to let go of? Is it fear? Perhaps it's the judgment uh, that you might receive from others. I'm not sure what it might be for you. I will say this passage has spoken to me this week and revealed a very clear action that Jesus is calling me to. And because of comfort and fear and because I have a vision of what the kingdom of God should look like, I am putting up barriers that are preventing me from pursuing Jesus. What do we see in the text? Jesus is calling us to follow him. 
the timing is probably all wrong. It doesn't fit your plan. He's calling you to something hard, something inconvenient. And we all have something that is stopping us from pursuing Jesus, some great barrier, something that we love that we don't want to let go of, something comforting and comfortable. My encouragement to you, nothing feels better than being exactly where God wants you to be. Pursue Jesus. Be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Be willing to give up all that you have in pursuit of him. And he will work in and through you for the expansion and fruitfulness of the kingdom. I believe that. Do you? Yeah. Let me pray. Our good God, uh, we, we fully acknowledge uh, the lives that we have lived and continue to live in sin and rebellion against you. We know that you call us to live a certain way and we don't. And Heavenly Father, the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus was sharing as the crowds pursued him was that by grace you have been saved. That you actually can't save yourself. That, that even accepting Jesus isn't saving yourself. That only Jesus can save you. So Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge uh, the truth of that. And we give you all glory and thanks for saving wretched sinners like all of us. Father, we know that... Uh, you don't intend uh, to save us and then allow us to continue to live uh, in, in ways that aren't in accordance to your will. You, you, intend us, you intend for us to pursue your will. And Father God, I acknowledge for myself and I'm sure every person in here, we are scared to follow you. And when, when we feel Jesus pulling us in a certain direction, asking us to be bold and to, to follow, we, we put up barriers because we're comfortable. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, by your grace and in your power that you would smash through those barriers, that you would uh, lead us boldly to follow you. Heavenly Father, I pray that the lives that we live would be in accordance to your will. Father, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that he lived, the lessons he taught. But ultimately, Heavenly Father, we thank you that he saved wretched sinners like all of us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.